This is 80 Conversations with me, Isabel Allen. You can subscribe free of charge at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcast. My guests today are Charles Thompson, a director at Studio 54 Architects, and Claire Barton, who's a partner at Haverstock. We're talking today about a project Studio 54 has just completed for the Forest School in Walthamstow. Charles, do you want to tell us a bit about the project and the client? Yeah, um, the project was to uh, extend and uh, convert a uh, prep school, which is part of Forest School, which is a independent day school, um, which includes a boys' school, a girls' school, the prep school. They've got a population of about 1,400 people. Um, and a, a real mix as a as a, uh, a campus uh, of um, buildings. It was originally founded in the 1840s, um, and there are some very fine grade two listed buildings, a lot of which have been uh, rather cannibalised over the years, but there's, there's, there's still quite a nice basic stock. Um, and, and since the end of the Second World War, there have been a lot of new builds, um, some better than others, frankly. Um, it, it, the whole campus gives the impression of, of have, having expanded in a slightly odd ad hoc manner. And the building that we've been dealing with uh, was originally built in the 1970s as a single story building. Uh, sorry, 1950s as a single story building. It was expanded into a, a, another floor in the 1970s. And that's kind of where we came in. Are we kidding ourselves that it is possible to lay out a long-term plan for an institution? Do, we, do either of you actually know of any examples where you've come into a school, they need a new building, and actually the principles of the master plan set out some time ago has positioned you in the right place to start from? We've, we've definitely been asked to do longer-term development plans and we've definitely done them as part of a project for maybe doing a one-off building, but looked at the kind of wider estate as to what they'll do next. Whether they've actually adhered to that and taken those principles and moved them forward is a different matter. But we talked a lot about this, Charles and I, when we were there. And it's, I, I think especially with the kind of private school sector where they do get these kind of pots of money every so often from different benefactors, it, I think it's a critical thing, you know, to know where to direct that money when it comes along mm. and just to kind of have that. Because we, we met a guy, didn't we, when we were there and there was kind of other projects in the offing and you're kind of thinking, mm. well, as an architect, we can be really helpful in kind of helping that project get off the ground and doing a little bit of prep work and doing a bit of speculative so I kind of think it's invaluable um I wish we did it a bit more although in the state sector a lot of academies are now starting to look to get their own architect kind of in-house architect so I think with a view to looking at estates as a whole and then you know single school sites it's wonderful that private schools have this sort of great big gene pool of potentially moneyed donors but does that mean that the kind of glamorous stuff if you like the music centers and the concert halls and the sports facilities tends to get prioritized over the the kind of more mundane stuff that's maybe more important 
It's possible. I think that was that wasn't the case in in the relation to this particular project, although uh, Claire mentioned, and I think I, I, I should also mention that there's a Buckley Gray Yeoman building which was built fairly recently, uh, which is a sixth form centre, um, which is a very fine building actually, which overlooks the cricket pitch and is. Uh, is very elegant and that was funded by a donor and, and it's, it, it is now in his name. Um, and I think there is inevitably where you get benefactors, uh, they kind of want their name to be put on, labelled onto a building that you can recognise and not a sort of toilet block at the back of the sports hall or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. or just um, the, the extra insulation and the double glazing exactly, throughout, which is probably exactly, what's needed exactly. most of the time. Yeah. But but I think uh, on, on the general question of, of, of why schools on the whole tend not to have development plans, I think it's partly maybe uh, that there very often aren't people within the school administration who value that kind of long-term vision um, and if they do they can quite easily be replaced by somebody who comes along with a different long-term vision you know I think it I think that recognizing that you it's a bit like governments isn't it in a way you know um, if if we could plan the economy over 25 years it would be a hell of a lot better than having to do it in this current government cycle so I think I think there's a sort of um, there's a slight reluctance very often to invest in thinking way ahead. The prep school had a, a, a very, very leaking roof. And the first thing that we were asked to do is to have a look at, could we just replace the roof? And very quickly, the idea was floated that uh, it might be possible to build a new floor at the same time um, and, uh, and th thus save money on redoing the roof, which given <laughs> the way the whole thing developed was is rather, all rather ironic. Um, and we did a feasibility study in 2017, middle of 2017, um, which looked at various options for extending it. Um, and, and of course, it was, it, it was doable. Um, but we also looked at the possibility of rebuilding the school elsewhere on the site. Um, um, and that uh, turned out to be quite tricky, partly because of planning, partly because it got rid of some much-loved uh, tennis courts, and uh, and at the time it seemed to be a very costly option. So we we uh, we got to a stage where the idea of extending the school seemed sensible, and at the time the idea was also to try and leave as much of the existing school on the ground in first floor as we could, although it very rapidly became obvious that even just without doing all the investigation works that so much of it was substandard and, and it had really had nothing done to it over probably a good 50 years. So the services were, were in bad state, single glazing, poor insulation, everything you can think of that could go be going wrong was going wrong. Um, so it was decided fairly quickly to um, effectively re-fit the whole of the existing building while we were doing the top floor floors um, and the the critical issue was that they also then demanded that we should uh, do all the development while the school was still functioning um, which uh, I think Claire said did we think it was mad yes I think there's no doubt we thought at the time this was crazy 
um, because we were also looking at the most efficient structural way of putting another floor on. And of course, the most efficient, or most, the cheapest way of doing it is not to span an exoskeleton around the whole building, but it's to go through the building and to put some new columns you know, judiciously placed in the existing building so that you could minimize the spans. But of course, if the building was going to be occupied while the work was going on, there was no way that could happen. So, so we moved um, reluctantly, um, and th there's a sort of political dimension to this as well, uh, to a situation where we, we said, well, we'll try and make it work. You're listening to AT Conversations. The back catalogue is available at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts. We had a very committed client body, um, particularly the bursar and the, the head of the prep school. The fact that the client was so committed to construction techniques that seemed to be so fraught with problems meant that they were very, very, very on board in terms of supporting the endeavor you know that there was at no point did they say oh god you said it was going to be fine and it isn't you know whenever there was an issue to do with decanting moving kids around one way or another to facilitate what we needed to do they were always on board so that made a huge difference and we had an extraordinarily good contractor so that the, the sense of a, of a i mean a good team is such a valuable well, it's crucial. I mean, it goes without saying, but it made such a difference. And were the kids excited about the process of actually being built around? Yeah. They were. They were. I mean, that was another positive thing. And that was partly, you know, it's partly the way the school sold the project um, because they said, you know, you can, you know, they were doing models of the school. They were do. They, we, we even managed to, I mean, health and safety, of course, was a huge issue, huge issue. Um, but um, we managed to get them to go around in small groups and they could see what was going on and they could put on hard hats and all that sort of thing. So there was a level of, of, uh, of excitement um, in the school about what was happening. So, um, Claire, when you visited the building, what was your immediate reaction? I think what's really interesting about it is within the collection of buildings... It, um, it's quite a refreshing building, isn't it? Because it hasn't kind of tried to reinterpret brick or, you know, it's kind of introduced timber and on a really interesting bit of the site where there's some really mature trees. So it kind of really sits in the context, but is a really good kind of interplay with the existing buildings. And I think also because it's the prep and it's the littlest uh, kids in the school, it kind of feels a bit more playful as a building. It's not quite as formidable as some of the other buildings. So it's got a real, it's got a really nice softness. I think if truth be told, it's, it's a little bit awkward in its context, isn't it? With that kind of sixth form centre right behind it. You know, there, it, it, it kind of creates quite an awkward space between the two. But then having said that, you know, you were tied into the footprint of that building. So there was, there was, there was never anything you could really do but it it definitely bolsters that front facade onto the flats which mm. is which is really impressive mm. um and I just love the play of timber you know the use of the datums and you know because that it, in one way that's really beautiful but in one way it's really borne out of the fact you're tying in 
with all those existing levels. So you've mm. kind of used that to your advantage. Mm. Um, but obviously it was massively tricky to do, you know. Mm. So, I, you know, I really I really loved it as a building. And, and when you go inside, it's very, it's got, it's got a really, it's got a real great sense of calm, hasn't it? It's a very mm. peaceful building. And I think that's a lot to do with the amount of light coming in. There's a view from every space, really huge windows. And weirdly, as we started at the top, which is obviously the newer spaces and went down to the kind of refurbished spaces. And even though they're lower, um, you didn't get, it didn't feel like they were getting, you know, a poor deal or they were the poor cousin of the upper floor spaces. It all felt really equitable which I thought was really lovely. Mm. Um, and the roof terrace, I realised that wasn't quite so easy a ride, but I, I can't imagine that building without it. Yeah. Because it's such an amazing space and the planting that's around the edge, it really softens the top of the building. You know, within that context, which is, you know, the, for- the Epping Forest and all of that stuff, I think that's a really stunning little addition. I can't mm. imagine, you know, the loss that that would have been if they didn't get that. Thanks for that, Claire. Because I mean, you, you've sort of summarised, I think, a, a lot of what we were we were trying to achieve there. Because I think one of the questions you asked almost immediately was, "Why didn't you do it in brick?" And and um, and, and of course, one of the crucial things. I mean, leaving aside that, I think ultimately that that as a brick box would have looked pretty uh, intimidating. It, it was that we're hanging everything off an exoskeleton, so we wanted a lightweight. Uh, a rain screen seemed to be the the way to go and then it was a question of choosing the materials and we've done quite a lot of buildings in timber in the past and but not a coir and I think we were quite we did quite a lot of research into using a coir and it obviously is much more long lasting and and uh, that was a, a good sell as far as the school was concerned but I I think the idea and it's 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 almost too trite to say it but the fact that it's sitting in the forest, you know, on the edge of the forest. It was, it, it just seemed as though timber was a very, a very nice avenue to go down, and 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 it does have this, has this this warmth about it. It, it. it it has a sort of, it's a nice a nice aesthetic for the children's uh, the school, um, and it also has a kind of flexibility about how it how you arrange the the detailing of it. So going back to the roof playground, initially we put a planning application without it in because the planners were so against it because they thought it would look like we were building another floor. So we then, as soon as we got planning permission for the first uh, for the main building, we then put a planning application in for the for the uh, the uh, playground, um, and we had quite a battle with how we were going to deal with the edge. This is AT Conversations. You can listen to the back catalogue at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts. I think we've all got horror stories about how planners can sometimes deal with your application and the sort of very often sort of rather um, mindless way in which they seem to respond to uh, issues. Um, They were very persuaded about the the main building um they uh, went we went through a pre-app process and they were very supportive um and they and and planning application itself although it took a long time went through successfully but the roof um playground um 
we had a long debate about how best to deal with the balustrade and whether it was glass or metal. I wasn't very keen on glass, I have to say, but was persuaded. And I think actually the planners were right. I think uh, we set the, the balustrade back. We put the planting on the outside, which created this sort of soft edge to the building. Um, we've, we, uh, we, it's been very beautifully planted out. Yeah. Um, and it gives a very nice sort of context. Uh, you can look south towards the city and you can look into the forest. And it's a very, it's a very exciting space to be in. I also think it makes it seem very modern. And it's interesting because when you first sent me the photographs, um, and you didn't actually have the roof terrace, which was very annoying because I really wanted to see it. But you mentioned yeah. the roof terrace and I could see the timber cladding. And actually, subconsciously, I just sort of thought, oh, Steiner School, you know, it's forest and it's timber and it's this and it's that. And um, and then uh, so, you know, it, it completely shifted my perception of the kind of school it was, the kind of institution it was and its priorities. Oh, it's on the edge of Epping Forest. It's also it's very kind of snuggly. And of course, now it's exactly what we want for our kids, isn't it? It's kind of connection to nature and it's air quality and it's all those things. And and then, you know, looking at the wider context and seeing a sort of, you know, very solid, traditional brick built school, which is entirely different. But actually, of course, what it has by a coincidence of history and geography is this a branding that modern day schools would kill for you know it's the forest mm. school we all want to be forest schools now don't yeah. we but you know what in a way with your yeah. choice of language and your architecture means you you've bought that out again and yeah. you've kind of yeah. refreshed it and dusted it down and yeah. I don't know how conscious that was whether the kind of marketing arm of the school is involved in those sorts of decisions or whether well, that's a happy coincidence I think it's more a happy coincidence, although it is interesting, and I think Claire witnessed this to a certain extent, is that there's a great deal of enthusiasm about the building. And, and although I'm saying I'm sort of winding down, I'm already involved in a couple of other projects that they, they want to move along. Um, and so, so slightly, you know, they say, oh, could we do it in a choir? You know, you will actually say, well, hang on a minute, but that, that might be not be the appropriate material to use in that particular context. But I, I think... Um, I think it was an. It's turned out to have been, I think, a, a, a good choice. And uh, and Claire's explained, I think, very very well the the sort of the, the way the facades are modulated and 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 uh, and the kind of joy that you get out of the the way the material is put together. Um, but also, how you get a kind of very a, a sort of tactility and a kind of actually quite snugly scale to what's basically mm. a very huge, simple, efficient volume, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, that proportion does help it against the existing, that kind yeah. of main building, doesn't it? Because I think yeah. if it was too frilly, it, it, it wouldn't really stand up to the context that it's sat in. Yeah. So it has so kind I, of got a strength, but it's just kind of a soft strength, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The planners, of course, initially said, oh, well, we want the, the new building to be different to the lower f- floors. And, and and we wanted completely the opposite because, in a way, we just wanted something that was kind of wrapped the whole building. And it's interesting, Claire, you say about its relationship to the other buildings. I think it, I mean, this is one of the factors, I think, that's germane in relation to both how the school has chosen to expand, which is, I suspect, partly nothing that they can do anything about because they're sort of ring-fenced by the forest and by their own playing fields. But the buildings have really just been plonked and there's, 
there's very, very little thought given to the outdoor spaces that have been created when the buildings go down. So it's, uh, it is a bit of a warren of a sort of um, roots and, and happen chance spaces. But yeah. I think what was really interesting was what Charles was saying about the kind of master plan. And one of the things that Wero is just whenever we go into a school and we, you know, they say we just need a new science block or we just need this, like your immediate thought is, well, we want to give the overall school as much added value as possible. And that's really, really critical, isn't it? And 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 weirdly, obviously with Charles, that that opportunity was quite limited because of the mm. kind of complexity of the job they were doing. But that little link that just <laughs> ties it into the existing, I mean, it's a beautiful little link anyway. Mm. It mm. Make, makes the whole thing completely accessible because obviously Charles has a lift in the new building. So that's made that. So it's just little things like that that I think um, are really important just to kind of offer that added value to the existing um, yeah setting and give everyone a piece of the pie you know not yeah. just the prep school yeah. so that's I think that's something that we always try to do and it's it's good to see that you've done that there who actually in reality is the client on a school project that's exactly the discussion Charles and I had I mean and 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 in reality you know the, the difficulty for us is there's always because we're mainly in the state sector, the government will always try to put a distance between us and the end user. But in reality, you know, the people that are going to use that building on a day-to-day basis and the people that have got all of this, you know, stuff to deal with on every political level and the day-to-day level is the end users. So we will always find a convert to the end users. In terms of projects that are kind of in the pipeline now or going forward, do you think that kind of COVID and all the renew preoccupation with health and well-being is actually going to change the way we approach school design it's it's funny because I was talking to someone about this yesterday I mean from from our perspective at the moment the work we're doing with the DfE is is it's almost been completely ignored they've just carried along on the um moving towards standardization and um you, you know designed for manufacture and assemble like they're just on this crusade to do that which i you know there's definitely pros and cons to that i think what's interesting is they they've got a very strong sustainability brief and what they're trying to do now is because they've seen this kind of well-being issue come up they're trying to kind of bring together sustainability and well-being where they are definitely looking at sustainability from a kind of targets perspective and reduced energy not i wouldn't say as a well-being so i i'm quite disappointed that it i i felt like there was a real golden opportunity and there was lots of talk and we were doing lots of seminars to kind of really you know, we'd we'd looked for a long time at a kind of outdoor school, which kind of turned the school inside out and was more outside than inside. And, you know, throw through the kind of space standards out the window and just kind of said, well, you know, a smaller internal space might actually work if you can actually put some money into the outside. Um, but actually, it feels more like it's going to be a few more sinks and lots of wipeable surfaces. That's what it feels like right mm. now is going to happen. And I think that's that's a. That's a real great shame for us. Charles Thompson, Claire Barton, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. 
You've been listening to 80 Conversations with me, Isabel Allen. You can subscribe free of charge at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts.